0: Good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta, yet again. Um, I've been pretty busy on the computer these days and trying to get out as much information as I can. And part of the reason I'm doing that is because I'm stuck at home with a little bit of an injured foot and I'm not supposed to be on it. So what better way to spend my time at home than uh, doing my best to get information out there and and answer some questions in emails and messages that we've been getting like crazy lately. Um, so. Tonight, uh, I figured it would be appropriate to bring on a guest who most of you probably already know, uh, Dr. Roger Hodgkinson. His list of credentials is way too long for me to discuss in the short time that we have in this live, so I'm going to let him pick out some of the most uh, uh, important things. But what we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, scary things like case counts and... uh, I'm going to even touch on this, an email and that I've gotten from a lot of people about Trudeau canceling the Constitution. So basically, we've seen a lot of things that are very scary or the media is telling us they're scary. Uh, They're telling us that that fear needs to make us give up our rights and freedoms and privileges. And they're also using that fear to pit us against each other. So, I mean, what do we do about that? We fight back with uh, truth and valid, pertinent information as best we can, and hopefully it makes enough of an impact. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you again to Dr. Roger Hodgkinson. And Roger, thank you very much for taking some time to speak with us tonight. We all really appreciate it.
1: My, my pleasure, Chris.
0: So I did mention that I was going to let you uh, introduce yourself a little bit because you're your list of credentials is longer than my memory is. So um, if you don't mind, could you just let everyone know who you are and why actually who you are, your credentials and why you decided to get in this fight? I believe uh, last year with uh, Dr. Dennis Moldry.
1: Well, uh, starting from scratch, my accent gives me away. Um, I'm a graduate of medicine from Cambridge University in Britain. I came to Canada in 1970, I qualified in pathology at the UBC in Vancouver. And uh, I've done a great variety of jobs and positions uh, in my career. I've been a -a workaday pathologist at a community hospital. I've been the CEO of a large retail diagnostic laboratory for outpatient work, an assistant professor at the university doing an awful lot of teaching. Um, I've been chairman of the Examination board for nationally for pathology, setting the annual examination. Um, I'm currently the the chairman of an American biotechnology company, uh, doing an awful lot of exciting work in in DNA sequencing, um, and uh, I've I earned my spurs, you might say, in public health as honorary chairman for many years. Um, Not currently, but uh, for many years, I was honorary chairman of Action on Smoking and Health um, taking on the predatory marketing practices of big tobacco, uh, which taught me more about public health than anyone that's got the so-called training in it.
0: So needless to say, um, you absolutely know what you're talking about and you have grounds and standing to discuss any of this. Uh, as much or more than uh, other doctors that are out there, am I correct in, in my assumption?
1: Um, I, I don't wish to create the impression that I'm, you might say, an expert in any of the micro issues involved here. I'm not a um, molecular biologist, I'm not a virologist, a vaccinologist, I'm not a specialist in infectious disease, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I am is a very head-screwed-on senior Pathologist who's been around the block, who's familiar with all the issues. Um, I have done some academic work and publications in the area of molecular diagnostics um, from the medical perspective, not from the laboratory perspective. Uh, co-owner of a patent um, in 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 um, molecular diagnostics and so on, but I but that's uh, I'm not um, an expert in in these micro micro fields. Um, I'm also, very important for people to realize, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm not a great resetter, I don't believe in any of that 5G graphene oxide bullshit, Um, what I believe is provable stuff, of which we have a boatload to make the case that this is madness, that has to stop yesterday, that is killing people as you and I are talking now, for no reason, cutting to the very heart of medical ethics, first do no harm, and informed consent. As to why I got into this, um, I'd like to say very humbly, um, I'm not special. Um, This is what physicians should do. Physicians are here for society before themselves. We don't consider ourselves as the top of the rank. No, it's the patient, it's society. That's what physicians should be doing, all physicians right now. And so I would say that the only unusual aspect of medicine right now is not me or Dr. Modre, or many of the other physicians who are being attacked by the colleges. The unusual species in medicine right now are the vast number of physicians who are choosing to be silent, that is reprehensible, given the issues at stake. And uh, I distance myself from my colleagues who are hiding, um, fearful of the college, fearful of loss of income. Um, some of them, of course, are truly ignorant, choosing not to be informed. Um, so that, that's a little bit about me. Um, I, I'm here for society. I always have been. Um, not that's not to be construed that I'm some rampant socialist I'm full disclosure here I'm a rampant Trumper I believe he's the savior of society if he doesn't get in in 24 all bets are off so you know my my politics are definitely right-wing but um, as a physician um, who's been very well trained in medical ethics um, I consider the current situation that we're facing to the to be the most grotesque stain on medical history ever grotesque things are happening that are utterly inexcusable and we can get into some detail
0: what what bothers me about this is this isn't the first time this has happened um mind you not in my lifetime or or on this scale but i'm i'm not a historian or anything but i paid attention in school i read books and uh Things like this have happened before. And what really surprises me is that with the amount of information available and, and with the push to um, learn history um, so we don't have to repeat it, people are still they're still not they're still not opening their eyes and, and realizing that, yeah, sometimes the people do have to stand up and call out some bullshit. Otherwise, we end up in a really, really bad spot and and we're there now. Like, we are definitely there. We're in the thick of it. And with news coming out of Quebec about them talking about uh, making the unjabbed pay an extra tax to access health care and our prime minister um, basically discriminating and encouraging bullying against uh, the people that don't want to take the jab. Uh, Same with our premier. Like We got a lot of work to do. It's not just us against the government anymore. It's us against the government. And at the same time, trying to maintain or repair relationships with other people within society. Right? Like I, I, am watching the comments, watching the comments go by and some people are just, they're just so ignorant. They, I, I don't know if it's easier for them to hate people that are trying to tell the truth, or if they maybe just enjoy this, um, this, this misguided misgiven sense of authority they have because they wear a mask and we don't. Right? So, the only way that I can see we can fix this or begin to fix it is by reducing or removing the fear tactics that are being thrown at us. So I'd actually like to try something. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and I'm going to start this conversation with a statement and I would, I'd just like you to reply to it. Um, Dr. Hodgkinson, don't you know that case counts are going through the roof right now, um, we've seen more cases of COVID in the last couple months than we have ever before. We're at record case counts, and we all need to be scared and do our part and wear our masks and get the jab. What would you say to that?
1: Well, I'm not a lawyer, but there is a, um, a legal tenet. If you're lying on one thing, you're lying on everything. Um, governments have lied to us consistently for two years. The statements are grotesquely culpable. And the, none of their stats, so-called, are reliable. None of them. In fact, we just heard from the horse's mouth, so to speak, that um, the occupancy of ICU beds as opposed to non-ICU beds was um, knowingly distorted for two years. And yet yes. that, was, that was the predicate for all this Hospital overutilization and crisis in hospitals, etc., etc., etc. No, the point is they can't be trusted on anything. And therefore, we have to form our own conclusions about what has happened, what should happen, and, and not rely upon government in any way, shape, or form. They've inserted themselves into an issue in which, A, they're incompetent at resolving. And B, didn't need their input in the first place because this was nothing more than a, essentially, according to John Aionides out of Stanford, probably the most esteemed epidemiologist in the world. Um, this is nothing more than a bad seasonal flu, which we've handled over decades, if not centuries, with liberal application of the most common medicine that's known, that's dirt cheap and dirt and absolutely safe It's called common sense, and we, the general population, have handled these things very effectively. I don't believe that the majority of the population are are stupid at all. They've been kept intentionally ignorant, and we'll talk about the three methods by which population control, the so-called mass psychosis. Um, We'll talk about that as to how that was initiated and, and maintained.
0: I was just reading some of the comments there. They're really flying in. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them. Um, One thing I'll mention is uh, neither neither you nor I have ever said that people don't die with COVID and that COVID doesn't take some people. But I think it's important to point out, and people forget this, or maybe they didn't know it in the first place because it wasn't plastered all over the news. The flu used to take a lot of elderly people. As a matter of fact, in January, I had a, this couple, they had to have been 150 years old. They were the oldest people that I'd ever seen in my life. And they're in my cafe um, during this pandemic, supporting our cafe and telling us this is all garbage and how dare they tell us what to do as seniors. They said to me um, that they have always considered the flu to, now this is a strange phrase, they've considered the flu to be nature's sweet mercy. Because at the end of their days, they have to go somehow. And the flu used to take a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And well, it's, it's not included in the conversation, right? So, yes, we do have something that's taking elderly people. But we, we've we've always had it.
1: I'm, I'm a pathologist. I can assure everyone listening with absolute certainty that death happens. Get used to it life is a
0: conspiracy theory roger
1: we we cannot stop death from happening we accommodate to the risks of everyday life largely subconsciously because they're so they're around us everywhere we drive to work not realizing that every single car coming at us the other way could be a head-on collision that could kill us we accept that Mm -hmm. just as an example so people unfortunately, have to get used to the fact that they need, unfortunately, they need to take back the control of their lives that government has progressively invaded. And I, I have said something rather controversial on occasion, Chris, about COVID, and it's this, and it may seem odd, and, but allow me to explain. COVID in many respects could be seen as a very fortunate event. Because it is the point of the spear of wokeism and how it has infiltrated society and organizations and politics and institutions to the extent that the the death of a thousand cups, as the Chinese used to call it, it hasn't been noticed. A little slice here, a little slice there. And before you know it, one day you wake up and you're the last person to be eaten by the crocodile. In that respect, COVID is very fortunate. It's a huge wake-up call. that goes way beyond COVID as to how we might have got here, how it's been maintained, and to learn from it these deep, deep lessons about how we got here and how we need to retake control of our freedom, which we fought for centuries to be where we are, to be able to go where we want to go, eat what we want to eat, travel what we want to do, take our kids to school, educate them ourselves, whatever, whatever, whatever. So many of these freedoms are being progressively eroded. And I thank COVID as nothing more than a bad seasonal flu to be the point of the spear that's coming to your door unless something is done that is dramatic. Not the Canadian solution to problems, which is evolution, this needs to be a revolution. There needs to be a total rethinking of politics, getting away with the whole the old left-right distinctions, and focusing on the fundamentals, on the quality of life, our freedoms, our health, the future of this province economically. These basic, basic things that cut right across politics. And COVID could, could be the cause of a great awakening in politics, not just in Alberta, but throughout the Western world.
0: So what you're saying is this has the potential, and I'm going to use uh, their words against them, this has the potential to be a great reset that we can build back better. Well,
1: very, very, good. very good point, Chris. We should be able to now retake control with our own reset, a reset that embodies traditional values that I know that you are in favor of the Alberta Unity Project is in favor of, Max Bernier is in favor of, and so on. Traditional values, belief in family, the church. I'm I'm an agnostic, by the way, uh, but I would go to the wall for religious freedoms. I consider it to be the most important freedom historically. So I I'm I'm in there like a dirty shirt fighting for freedom. And detaching it from politics as previously understood.
0: And one of the things that I'd like to point out for anyone watching, um, Dr. Hodgson doesn't have to do this. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a do or die thing for him. I mean, I'm sure, Roger, you could probably just, just uh, skate through this and get on with your life and be totally happy as you were before. However... You've chosen to take up your sword and fight back because you see what's happening to other people. And that's what we need more of. We need more people to first understand that there's a problem. Um, And I'm not talking about their neighbor not being jabbed as a problem. I'm talking about their neighbors being discriminated against because they choose bodily autonomy. Um, I got a message from somebody who is somebody's neighbor that her father is in the hospice in Calgary in his last days, like very few days left, and she's being refused access to the hospice um, because she is not fully vaccinated. And she provided uh, a couple of negative rapid tests and they still won't let her in. Now, if I give up everything that I that I've said and I go along with this whole narrative, I still can't subscribe to it because If it was about dealing with COVID, about protecting people, about protecting the vulnerable, that wouldn't happen. A negative test, a negative rapid test. And I agree with you, Roger, that we shouldn't be testing at all. However, by their own logic, that test should be the key to doing everything. Right. Because if we if we have a problem where we're transmitting a virus and it's destroying society, then the negative test should be the answer. However, it isn't. They're saying that the only answer is a jab that hasn't worked. So their own logic unravels, it unravels their own agenda. And I, I, I'm excited that it's happening this way because I think that people can't ignore those things.
1: I, I often start my speeches by saying, listen, um, I'm gonna keep this speech really short. I'm just gonna say two words, then you can go home. All you really need to know is very simply, Repeat after me, nothing works.
0: Nothing works. Nothing
1: nothing could work. Nothing has worked. And therefore, nothing will work. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a medical specialist like I am to figure out that if you've been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again for two years, and it's not made a scrap of difference. In fact, it's made it an awful lot worse. Then just maybe, just maybe, knock, knock hello, anyone home? You should stop everything and get back to living perfectly normally, as we did in a time I call BC, before COVID, if everyone can remember that, and simply protect people who are vulnerable in ways that are still not being done, despite ample evidence of their effectiveness without a vaccine. And I'm talking here about vitamin D, Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, quercetin, NAC, etc., cetera. Agents that could be used in nursing homes very effectively.
0: And how and are being used in other jurisdictions. Exactly.
1: And again, um, just to bang my drum, I'm a pathologist. I can tell you categorically no testing of any kind, anywhere, for any reason is indicated with the singular exception of when you present to a hospital with symptoms that are consistent with COVID, they do a PCR test at a low cycle threshold that shows a positive result, which in that context is probably accurate, whereas just the opposite applies, of course, to asymptomatic testing. That's the only place where testing should take place. And even the PCR test should be replaced by a, a technology that's well known to be substantially superior and is perfectly capable of being performed at the volume, the reduced volume that would be needed in that circumstance. And that, that methodology is called sequencing. Fred Sanger got the, the Nobel Prize for it. It's real, well recognized as the gold standard of identifying any bug, virus, bacterium, you name it. So that's the bottom line on testing. Scrap the whole goddamn thing it's absolutely pointless. There's no need to know. Go about your normal life. If you get sick enough to go to hospital, a test will be done. Unfortunately, the wrong technology, but that's all they, they have, this, so they say.
0: So um, I, I would say that common sense and logic would dictate that testing should only, like what you've said is testing should only be done in a clinical setting, in a clinical setting as a means to determine the path of treatment, right? So if you want to, as a physician, or let's even take a mechanic for that matter, if you want to fix a problem, number one, find out what the problem is and then use the proper tools to address it. In this case, our um, our, our government has our 1986 Hyundai pony in the shop and they've pulled all of the parts out of it. They've damn near destroyed the thing, trying to find a problem. Before they ever diagnose that there was a problem in the first place, And, exactly. and, and Yeah, I mean we.
1: Exactly. we... So, so, so you, you present a hospital and you get this positive result, and the, the presumption is that you probably do have COVID. What's the next step? It's called a PO2, the your oxygen level, essentially. If your PO2 level isn't low enough, you're deemed not to be sick enough to be admitted which actually is probably one of the things that's going to save your life, not being admitted and being put on rendesivir. So they say, you're not sick enough to be admitted. Go home, period, go home, period. No treatments offered, no advice is given. The subtext medically is go home and come back when you're blue, when you're much more seriously ill and much more more difficult to treat. Instead, what they could do is send you home with a, little, a package of pills, a starter pack, as per the McCullough-Zelenko protocols, heavily focused on hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin, vitamin D, etc., other agents as well. That is what they should be doing. Medications that have been proven to be effective instead of doing nothing, doing nothing. Just saying come back when you're really sick, despite There's the fact that there are agents involved that could prevent you from dying.
0: There's a very big drawback to your your argument there, Roger. If the hospitals aren't full of sick people, the top brass in the companies that administer healthcare in our provinces have no justification for seven hundred thousand dollar a year salaries.
1: <laughs> well, the, the mismanagement of our healthcare system is a is a is another big story that i could speak for days on um in, in with respect to covid let's let's be very clear here for two years this has been a one disease healthcare system where normal things have been ignored or delayed people are not getting their hip joints done they're in pain people are uh, getting their cancer diagnoses delayed, cancer treatment delayed sometimes. We're even hearing of transplants being denied people despite a match being available because someone isn't vaccinated. So it's, oh. been, a one, it's been a one disease healthcare system. And to put a number on that, because um, I'm happy to be out of Britain, by the way, but Britain happens to be the place with the best stats on this internationally britain has been spending on one disease covid with all the ramifications of it economic support etc etc britain has been spending on COVID more than the entire budget for the entire national health service encompassing everything That's that's how ridiculous this focus has been from, a, you might say, a financial perspective.
0: I'm going to make a statement here, and this is just an opinion, but I'm going to give the viewers some homework. I want you to if try and get this information from me. I'm going to wager that with what we've spent in our never ending crusade against COVID in Canada, Canada alone, that we could have ended poverty, had uh, increased our provincial uh, health care budgets and services by 20% or what else could we do? You know, how many diseases could we potentially cure with the amount of money that's been thrown at this? Let's see. No. Let's take, let's take the poverty. I'm going to say, I'm going to wager 10 bucks that with all the money we've spent on COVID and the money we've wasted dealing with COVID and this crusade, that we could have ended poverty in Canada completely. That's my, that's my challenge. Uh, if there's anyone out there that will do that homework for me, please send me the information. And uh, if you can prove me wrong, I'll give you 10 bucks.
1: That, that's, I'm sure that's true, Chris, but the money to do that would have to have been borrowed. The big problem with the way our politicians are running Alberta right now, or Canada for that matter, or any country, is we're essentially all bankrupt. We're not living within the means of our revenue stream. It's the rev it's the way funds are currently being spent where money could be found to solve the problems that you just identified. We don't have to borrow to solve these problems. We have to run the system more efficiently and get rid of all the dead wood.
0: Yeah, and really if you, if you think about it, the money that we've borrowed to do this, um, the money that we are going to have to pay back as taxpayers, um, that's the biggest wealth transfer in history. Quite. Last time I checked, and this was about seven months ago, we had moved $37 billion from the lower and middle class in North America mm-hmm. to the upper class and, and pharmaceutical companies in the United States mm-hmm. and across mm-hmm. the world. billion. That was seven months ago. And now I think we've spent another $42 billion on this. So that is a very, very significant sum of money.
1: The the average person is um, snowed by zeros and percentages. It's not the way they normally assess things. But the scale of borrowing is such that Our children have not just been brutalized by COVID in ways that we'll elaborate, which is absolutely despicable. But they, our children today, are the ones that will be paying the price in the future because the scale of borrowing is so off the map that the interest has to be paid. And the interest can only be paid without either increasing taxes, which is, ridiculously high in the first place, or reducing services, subtext, how long it takes the police to respond, an ambulance to respond, teaching, schooling, healthcare services, or devaluation. One of those three, or a mix thereof, is the future for our children. That has been imposed upon them, layered on top of two years for younger children, of not appreciating nonverbal communication, of being suspicious of even touching anyone. That's what these politicians have done to our children. They brutalized them during COVID, and the consequences of their actions our children will have to live with for the rest of their lives with reduced services of one sort or another, or a reduced standard of living.
0: You know, that's... This is one of the reasons why, um, why I, I I became a supporter of the Alberta Unity Project, and I'm just gonna have, I'm gonna take a little side path here and discuss this for a moment. Um, there's been a lot of people reaching out to me and asking me to get behind the Alberta 51st state Alberta statehood 51st state thing or whatever uh, that that Alberta should secede from Canada and join the uh, the Union the United States. Now. Here's the problem I have with that Um, at the Alberta unity project. It's been identified that unless Albertans stand on their own two feet as a sovereign nation and make their own laws and are accountable to themselves and have their own, their own police force, their own military, their own everything. We don't, we can't be subject to a king anymore. And becoming part of the United States, I don't think is much better. Although, you know, of course, we'd have the right to bear arms and the right to a well armed militia, which, you know, that's some comfort. However, um, we're still subject to a potentially corrupt federal government. And if you don't believe me, just look at what's going on south of the border right now, I mean, Joe Biden is the president and he is running that country into the ground and he's making them look like clowns on the world stage. So I I personally don't want that. Um, I love the United States. I think that people are great, but they have as big or bigger problems as we do in Canada. And the only way for us as Albertans to deal with that is to stand on our own two feet and fight for our own rights and our own freedoms and have our own laws that we design for the people that make it so this cannot happen to us. So there's my little plug for the Alberta Unity Project. Um, an organization that believes in those things, that believes in freedom and prosperity for everyone and doing it through an accountable government. So there's my plug for the AUP. I don't know, Roger, do you have anything to comment on that real quick?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm a total supporter of the AUP. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be invited to speak at their rallies. Um, I think the, the, the possibility of renegotiating our place in Confederation uh, along the various lines that are so egregious—transfer um, uh, payments and police and pensions and so on—we um, cannot possibly renegotiate our role in Confederation to represent anything that remotely is fair. It simply won't happen. The East Eastern Canada Canada controls the shots, and so the, the only way is to first of all, demonstrate that there's a sufficient groundswell of of desire to separate, to uh, present that to, um, to Ottawa. It will be denied, of course. And then we declare unilateral independence and become the most vibrant economy in the Western world.
0: And we would be. And if any of you are out there watching and you have questions or statements, um, the one that I've heard is, oh, what about us being landlocked? Oh, what about our currency? Oh, what about our military? All of those questions, please attend an AUP meeting in your area as soon as you can. Those questions all have answers. And as a reasonable, common sense motivated individual, um, I had those questions in the beginning when Wexit popped up and when WIPA um, uh, was pushing for independence and, and all of these, organizations. I had those questions too. Those questions have been answered for me. So if you really want to know the answers to those questions, please attend a meeting or you can try reaching out to me. I'll do my best, but uh, it might take me a while. I get a lot of emails. So uh, let's move on back to what we all love to talk about, the COVID issues. Um, I had a, there's, there's somebody that put a comment up. please ask about the Nuremberg. Now, before, we talk about that. Um, People have a misconception that the Nuremberg Code is some magic bullet that we can use in a court of law in Canada to prevent them from doing this to us. Now, the unfortunate part about this is while the the Nuremberg Code was derived from the atrocities that were committed during the Second World War, where um, um, one group of people were being used as lab rats by another group of people, Um, In the end, after the war, those people were tried. Most of them were hung and uh, actually the United States hired some of them to come work for the United States. But that's another story. So the result of this was a set. There was a code that the, the gist of it is one human being cannot do anything medically to another human being without their informed consent. That is the core of the Nuremberg Code. Now, as with any kind of international law, Um, those things only apply on an international stage. So if you try and go into court and you're fighting a ticket or you are fighting a charge for keeping your business open and you try and use uh, the Nuremberg Code or the uh, International Covenant of uh, Political and Religious uh, Beliefs or the International Covenant of Societal Whatever. I can't remember what they are. It's not going to work. Those things are for international courts. And Canada, unfortunately, doesn't really participate in that. I mean, we've signed those things saying that we agree, but it isn't law in Canada. It's Canada saying, yes, these are good ideals, but we're just going to use those for other countries that we're at war with. Okay, so that's what Nuremberg is all about. And if don't be hoodwinked into being distracted and getting behind organizations and movements that are flying a banner of Nuremberg code, it's a lost cause. Our cause here and our path is a lot of hard work, a lot of repair between relationships uh, within our province and our country, and and that's it. Hard work. There's no easy way out of this. Did I get that uh, right? Course, about the Nuremberg Code. I think you know more about that than I do, Roger.
1: No, I, I think that's a very good summary, Chris. It doesn't apply in our courts. Um, it's it's a standard that people should um, follow and. Uh, and be threatened by, um, because the international um, court in the Hague, um, you know, is is a, a viable route ultimately for the prosecution of these crimes. These are crimes against humanity. Absolutely. They're being they're being performed on people with an experimental product, who are being lied to about its effectiveness. They are being prevented from accessing any information to the contrary in a very conscious, determined fashion, psychological operations by government, which are utterly despicable, trying to mold us in the direction that they wish us to follow. So there's all kinds of ways these people can be prosecuted in the future. It's going to take some time, of course. Uh, Rainer Fulmer's um, work and so on, it, it will not be immediate. I think the system's going to implode under its own weight, quite frankly, be- well before those, those judgments are, are made public. And the, the singular thing that I think will turn the population, those that are truly ignorant, I'm not saying that in a, in a, in a, in a demeaning way, people that have been kept ignorant, when people get educated as to how they've been duped how they've been lied to consistently over two years. I call this the autopsy of COVID. When, the, when that analysis is written by the likes of Alex Berenson, um, Delingpole in Britain, and so on, esteemed investigative journalists, when that's laid out in lay terms, the general public are going to be absolutely revolted by it. And it's going to have major consequences in future elections. And so I would say to any politicians listening tonight, which is of course unlikely because they just don't want to know, by the way, uh, Nuremberg proved very, care- very very well that um, simply claiming you're ignorant of something happening in plain sight is no defense. Um, no, politicians had better watch out because they're going to be a very, very angry population there will be blood in the gutter. And any politician that wants to save his or her pension, let's get to the nitty gritty here. Politics isn't, isn't politics. is not about serving you and me. It's about being in a position where you virtually do nothing and you get a pension. If you want to receive your pension, you better get ahead of the game now, because waiting for the autopsy and saying, oh, we're so sorry, won't cut it get ahead of the game now put your standard in the ground and say we were wrong i was given terrible advice by the medical officer of chief medical officer of health i was duped make heads roll and any contrite politician that stands before the camera the cameras, and says that in a very contrite way my guesstimate is of politics that that politician will be respected and honored and forgiven at the next election. They would be. But if you don't do it now, Mr. Kenny, in a comprehensive way, you are done. I hope that message sinks in, not just for Mr. Kenny, but for all the MLAs who are basically quivering in their boots because of fearing being kicked out of caucus and possibly yeah. losing the, the next election on that basis. You will lose the next election if you don't get ahead of the game now.
0: Absolutely. Being kicked out of caucus for doing what's right and standing up for for, for people's rights and freedoms and their liberties, uh, being out, kicked out of caucus, that's going to be a lasting legacy. Being removed from power and uh, losing an election in shame, that is also a legacy, and you don't want that. That brings up another point that I've, I've had this discussion with a few people. Um, so looking at what's going on in the world, the failed uh, vax crusade, uh, the failed propaganda machine that the government is, is working about all this stuff, people have asked me, you know, what happens when this all comes crashing down? The governments are going to pay. Well, <laughs> I don't think these are stupid people. Uh, they're smart. And the first thing they did is they gave the uh, pharmaceutical companies basically carte blanche, they said, um, we're not going to hold you accountable if something goes wrong with this because you haven't tested it properly, but we're going to give it to people anyway. So they gave them a pass. Now, when this all comes crashing down and I say when because it will, there is no way that that it won't. The government, in my opinion, is going to place all of the blame on the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies are going to be hit very, very hard with lawsuits um, as they have in the past. And you know what? They don't care. The business model that we see coming out of some of these pharmaceutical companies, and let's take Pfizer, for example, because they're the biggest. If they put out a product that they make $50 million on, or sorry, $50 billion on, and they pay $3 billion in damages to people they hurt, That's good business. And for any of you out there who don't know, these people do not care about you. This is business. If they can make a billion dollars by killing 10 people, they'll make a billion dollars by killing 10 people. If they can make a one hundred billion dollars by killing a thousand people and getting away with it, they'll do that. It's all about the bottom line and it's calculated. So I guarantee you before any of these big companies roll out a product, they know how many people it's going to affect. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is go and read that document we posted with Pfizer's initial results from the uh, from the trials they did. Right. Uh, the results were not the greatest. But out of stuff like that, they can determine, OK, well, we're going to sell the globe 200 billion dollars worth of this product. And with the amount of people that we anticipate hurting with it, we're probably going to pay 20 billion dollars in damage. That's a no brainer. They're going to do it. So. I really think the governments are going to try and blame the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies are going to go like this, they're going to cut some checks, and they're going to continue on doing what they always do. They've done it in the past, they'll do it again. However, the way society is going to look at these individuals, these men and women, who have allowed this to happen, that's going to be different this time. Because last time the pharmaceutical companies got away with hurting people and making money, the politicians didn't really pay for it. But now they are so entrenched, they are so ingrained in this conversation that it's going to be impossible for them to hide that out. They're going to be on display and they're going to be held to account. So uh, I'm going to parrot what Roger said. If you're a politician and you're on the fence and you're worried about doing the right thing because you want to keep your pension or your position or get elected next term, you're not getting elected. Let's get that over done with. um, You better stand up right now and start doing the right thing. Because you may lose your job next election, that might happen, but that is way better than being on the hook and people knowing that you participated in this and you hurt people. That's my advice, take it or leave
1: it. I would add one more um, caution to the way we're interpreting the vaccine situation. And it's this. This whole mess started with the totally inappropriate designation of this being a public health emergency. Lieutenant Colonel David Redman, who ran the show for Alberta and wrote the manual, has declared publicly this never was a public health emergency, never close. Not in a month of Sundays, as we say in Northern England. So once you remove that initial definition of it being public health a public health emergency there is absolutely no justification for using agents such as these so-called vaccines under emergency use authorization the predicate for EUA has to be some hol- horrible colossal emergency which it was which there was not so under that umbrella they were able to roll out these these products with the most minimal testing particularly for for pregnant women and children. And the point I'm trying to make is, this is is an incredibly important precedent in medicine, in terms of how a product is released on the two into billions of people. We must not allow this accelerated release with minimal testing ever to take place again except for the most extreme emergencies which this was not we cannot allow future vaccines it with such trivial testing it, in medicine the most protected class of people are pregnant women you go overboard to make absolutely sure that a product is going to be safe for the mother and baby that came out of the thalidomide disaster which you may recollect where terrible things happen to babies.
0: And it was the status quo.
1: And pregnant women are being injected with this stuff as we speak. And I'm referring to this document that you've all had pushed through your letterbox. This okay. is an urgent health message. And in this do- they actually say in print, you can't get more culpable than this, they actually say in print, And in response to the question, is the vaccine harmful to pregnant women or someone who's breastfeeding? And they say, no, period.
0: They can't answer that, Roger.
1: There is no evidence. Listen to this. The sleight of hand, the lawyers who've been involved in this, there is no evidence that COVID-19 vaccines are harmful to those who are pregnant. Those, by the way. Uh, Last time I checked, everyone that was pregnant was a woman Um, that's trying to be so politically correct here. But that's another story. There is no evidence that COVID-19 vaccines are harmful in pregnancy. Well, of course, there's no evidence because you haven't looked for it, you idiots. How dare you say that? How dare you inject women with this agent, knowing full well it's not being tested and to, to use the sleight of hand to say there's no evidence. Well, there isn't evidence because you didn't want to look for it that's how so grotesque this kind of doublespeak is government putting this kind of stuff out through everyone's letterbox it's full of lies a pack of lies and they expect away with that at the next election mr kenny i'm looking at you straight in the eye now i've got a bridge to sell you if you think you can survive this resign now
0: here, okay, so every time you bring that up, and you've spoken about that at a couple of the AUP meetings, um, it infuriates me that they use that kind of gaslighting, double speak. Because, okay, there's no evidence to support uh, or that, that says that it's harmful for pregnant women. They haven't had a chance to tell yet. And that's why the protocol for any new drug, anything that's released, is that until you can prove that it's not causing those things, you don't have the evidence. That drug is guilty until proven innocent because that is the safest path for everybody. If, if a bunch of people have adverse reactions until that pharmaceutical company can prove that it was not the pharmaceutical that caused the adverse reaction, it's attributed to that. That's why we have long-term studies. That's why we need long-term data on cancer. And and sterility, uh, fertility and sterility, because we don't know. And to, for them to say there's no evidence that it causes harm to pregnant women is complete. I'm, I'm going to use your words here, complete and utter bullshit. What they should be saying is we don't have any evidence that in the long term, this is safe for pregnant women. So please make an informed decision regarding the vaccine.
1: And and the, the second protected class, after pregnant women, are children. This is how bad it's getting with um, the journals of the world. The, the the most prestigious journal in the world is, in, is called the New England Journal of Medicine. The editor of that publication, who's been in the job for 30-odd years, a physician, his name will go down in Igmeny. His name is Dr. Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. Look him up. He was on the committee for the FDA to look at whether or not to recommend vaccination for children. And we can talk about why that is so ridiculous later on. But he said this, and I'm quoting pretty well verbatim, from that most prestigious position in medicine. He said, and I quote, We won't know if it's safe to use until we use it. In other words, children are the lab rats. And that's the second thing that might be, be the pivotal moment for society to turn on politicians. When children start dying, I'm talking very, very clearly and bluntly now. When children start dying, Of a vaccine that they don't need in large numbers the population will be enraged it's happening already 400 cases of myocarditis reported i believe in ontario claiming that this is mild let me tell you all about myocarditis myocarditis is never mild Myocarditis is a killer. You may survive it initially. You may not even know you've got it as a slight chest pain that you slough off as something else. But if if it's got to the point of needing hospital admission, a significant percentage of people who've had myocarditis within five years end up in heart failure and needing a transplant. A delayed reaction because you're killing off a substantial number of heart cells upon which we rely upon as we get older as as a reserve, you might say. Yes, that's coming. And I I put, I I phrase that like this, just to to get people's attention. Has it really come to this? Has it really come to this? Child sacrifice to appease the new self-appointed gods. When the Aztecs tried that, it didn't make the rainfall. And killing kids will not protect granny in the nursing home. You should be ashamed of yourselves because that is going to happen. Innocent young children in the prime of their life, perfectly healthy, under no risk whatsoever of COVID. There hasn't been a single death in the whole of North America from an otherwise healthy child despite the attempt by our Chief Medical Officer of Health to brag about the first one internationally that turned out to be totally fallacious. No, there hasn't been a single death in the world in an otherwise healthy child from COVID. And yet they want to inject them into something that is known to have serious life-threatening risks for no benefit whatsoever. That is what's happening to our children. That's what politicians are countenancing. It's look, I I used to teach medical students this. Statistics full of zeros and decimal points. People can't get a grip on statistics. But every single number in a statistic is a person. What you have to think about, Mr. Politician, is that if your daughter got the vax the clot shot, as I prefer to call it, and died shortly thereafter from that or the booster dose. Just imagine how you would feel about that, the closeness of that event. Well, the feelings that you would go through reacting to that are identical to the feelings of angst, the, the, the awful family disruption, the, 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 the agony of, of a loved one dying in, in their prime of life. Just imagine that's your daughter, not someone else's a mere statistic that you can slough off. That's what we're talking about here is an immense human tragedy unfolding. And it's unfortunately going to need kids dying to get the attention of the mass population and politicians to stop this ridiculous out of control train wreck
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely so there people kind of scream at me every once in a while saying well you don't know that this causes any harm to kids they should just get it to do their part and protect everybody else here's what i do know i do know that not one person on this planet can tell me with any kind of certainty that this is not going to adversely affect children in ten years. They can't tell us that because they don't they haven't done. They don't don't have any data, none. I can also tell you, as Roger said, that there has not been one healthy uh, child that has died from covid yet. So that tells me the risk to children is very, very low. Now, since when at any point in history has it been okay for society to do something to children that they cannot guarantee is safe for them by any stretch of the imagination in order to protect a group of people who statistically in the middle range have about a 1% chance of adverse event or death from COVID or a group of high risk individuals that have a 7%. I can almost guarantee that the vast majority of that high risk group the I uh, believe what is it Roger I think 70 and up is the high risk 7% will yeah, yeah, get I guarantee that the vast majority of the people in that group would never ever ask anybody to do something risky for their to their children to protect their health and why can I guarantee that because the people with the white hair grew up in a different time than we did the people with the white hair grew up in a time where family was everything children were to be protected from everything including government that's the difference those people would never ever do this and yet we have these idiot politicians barely out of university some of them barely out of high school making decisions and speaking for that group of people and this was one of my problems in the beginning is nobody asked the elderly Nobody asked those people in the long term care facilities how they wanted to deal with this. Nobody asked them if they were okay taking the risk of catching COVID and dying um, because they saw their family. Nobody asked them.
1: The, the, The risks for children we've covered to a certain extent, but there's more. There's more, believe it or not. They've not just been brutalized for two years psychologically and from an educational perspective, truly brutalized more so than any other sector of society. And they're not just going to be paying the price economically, as I described in the future, a double whammy. But it doesn't end there. We know from the Pfizer submission to the Japanese authorities that was obtained under freedom of information by Dr. Briddle in Ontario, we do know that Pfizer knew before the vaccine was introduced that in rats, these nanoparticles in the vaccine located heavily, more so than in any other organ, into the ovaries of rats. Now, they were rats, excuse me, they were rats. They weren't humans. They chose not to do the experiments in another species, which they were should have been obligated to do under normal clinical trial conditions. So right now we have the uncertainty of what is happening to little girls' ovaries? Answer, we don't know. We don't, we just don't know. And m- many people listening uh, would probably be unaware of the fact that little girls are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have in their entire life. You, little, girls don't make more, little girls don't make more eggs. Once you destroy a significant number of them, They're gone forever, they're not replaced. And so one of the consequences of this flagrant abuse of children could be, and I hope it's not true, obviously, but it could be significant impact on fertility. On the male side, there's a similar problem, a slightly different explanation in terms of the the mechanism by which this occurs. But attack on the testis is also quite f- conceivable because we do know that the receptor for the spike protein, the ACE2 receptor, is heavily expressed in cells that nurture the development of spermatozoa. they got, they got rather special names. And again, uninvestigated. And that is occurring in the background of what we know to be a totally unexplained reduction in spermatozoan concentration over the last number of decades. The average sperm count has dropped by 40% for reasons that's totally unclear. We could be looking at significant consequences for the fertility of the human race.
0: I'm going to venture out a little bit into conspiracy land, but it's not really because you can actually find this information online in black and white on the United Nations website and their documentation portal. So I'm sure everybody here has heard of agenda 21 and agenda 20 or agenda 2030. They are real. They exist. And the matter of fact, prime minister, Stephen Harper was the one who signed Canada onto those agreements um in 2008 and then in 2016 so it is real in that documentation it's basically a model for sustainable development for the entire planet how are we going to save ourselves from this impending climate disaster and continue on as a as a as a human race one of the things in that document says that the world's population needs to be reduced to 1.5 billion people now right now we have almost 8 billion right almost 8 billion people Um, let's say, catastrophically, that this jab does affect fertility. 90% of the people on the planet have taken it. Do the math. Now, I'm not saying this is what's happening. But I, I, I just want to make it clear that if something like this does happen, this would be the worst disaster mankind has ever faced in the entire existence of mankind, because if you have 90 percent of the population that has fertility issues, we're done. Quite literally, we're done. So I would I would be comfortable saying that if there are concerns that these things could potentially happen, that ten years waiting time to make sure that we know what we're doing before we do it is a small price to pay when 10 years waiting with dealing with something that takes 1% of people that get it and only 3% of the population gets it bad. It's a small price to pay. And it's a common sense approach. Let's not destroy mankind.
1: That, of course, Chris, is the normal approach that's been trashed this time around. That's entirely normal for vaccines to be tested for prolonged periods of time. Especially, especially if it's a brand new technology that's that's never been tested in humans before this, this massive rush to market. I, I, I in terms of the you might say conspiracy theories about all this, I want to make my position quite clear. Um, I do not believe that this was an intentional release, an intentional um, release of a virus designed to kill people. What I, do, what I do believe is that Fauci, who I call the most vile man walking, wanted to have glory at the end of his career by using gain of function to try to figure out how to treat viral infections better. He intentionally circumvented the prohibition on doing it in the States by sending it to a lab where it could be done without being observed gain-of-function research in Wuhan. He did that in full knowledge of what a terrible biosafety that laboratory had from State Department communiqués as well as from the French who built the lab in the first place. So he sent it to them to do the work thinking it would never be discovered and he would you know, benefit from whatever the, the, the output of the research was that could be used by pharmaceutical companies Unfortunately, a pair of dirty shoes walked out of that lab and started spreading it. I can tell you, having being the chairman of a DNA sequencing lab where where biosafety and cross-contamination is so critical, no lab in the world, no Level 4 lab anywhere, can be hermetically sealed so that it is perfect and will never, ever release a terrible agent that's inside it. It's impossible.
0: Roger, I just got a message. I just got a message that our live stream crashed. No dear. So everything on my end is showing that we're still uh, going, but I got a text saying that the live live stream is done. So I'm just gonna just let me check something here. No, it appears we're still up. Yeah, there's me looking at the screen. I can see it on my other computer. I think so, we're
1: good. So, just to, just to continue, it 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 never was a conspiracy to devise this virus and release it. But what happened following that release was the most Machiavellian exploitation of the unexpected opportunity that fell in the laps of people who were primed to maximize use of it. The great resetters, Gates, Davos, and the Dumbocrats in the States. Trump lost the last election because of COVID. The Democrats brilliantly manipulated the fear of COVID into, into absentee ballots that they knew they could massage. So that, that's my overall take of why we're in this mess. Are evil forces out there using COVID as a way of achieving their their global objectives? The Great Resetters, absolutely, absolutely, devious, brilliant people. But it was it was never in, it was never intended. They just had a wonderful opportunity to exploit, and they did it yeah. brilliantly.
0: I agree. I totally agree. And I'm not sure if you've seen, but there's been some uh, documents released about Anthony Fauci's. Involvement in the gain-of-function research, and uh, he's yeah. been caught in—he's been caught in the lie. He's been exposed. Yes, he did do it. Yeah, they actually—and—and and here's the thing: there were other organizations involved with this, with Anthony Fauci, and this is all coming out. Project Veritas—they did a really, really good job of digging this information up, yeah. and yeah. they've—you know—they put this information out there. So he's going to figuratively hang for this. The cat's out of the bag and right. I'm glad that it's finally that these things are finally starting to happen because and actually this brings me into my next point, one of the, because one of the comments we had a while back was um, how do we de- deal with all this, all the fear mongering and the propaganda and get people back to a place where um, we can coexist peacefully again. And I have an idea. But first I have a question. So I wanna know how many people out there have ever been in any kind of a cadet program, Air Cadets, Sea Cadets, Army Cadets, or whatever. If you have, now this will be fun. Please post your your, uh, name and your town and your squadron number in the comments because I'm very curious to see. Um, I was involved with Air Cadets for a few years when I was a kid uh, from I was 12 until I was 18, I guess. And I loved it. Uh, It was great. I had a lot of fun. And one of the things that was hammered into us from start to finish was this lead by example. Now, there is no way we're going to make a big enough impact on the whole fear thing that's keeping people from living their lives uh, by presenting them with facts, by showing them evidence and and stuff like that. Because when people are addicted to fear, when they're suffering from Stockholm syndrome, they will not release, they can't be released from those addictions until they want to be. And the only way, in my opinion, to to help people get to a point where they want to be released from that addiction is to lead by example. Live your life as a normal human being. Treat people with compassion. Go to the grocery store sans mask. Do things in your own lives that show people, hey, I don't have to be scared. Look at Chris over there. He's living a completely normal life and he's not falling over dead in the street. That's how we do this. We do our best to get information out there so people can access it if they want it or if they're open to it but at the end of the day we need to lead by example and that's my advice on how we can start getting past the fear and the propaganda that has paralyzed so many people in our society
1: and there is um, a very interesting initiative national initiative that's just starting chris that i do want everyone to know about and I'm, i'm honored to be on there their advisory board. Um, it's headed by Brian Peckford, who many of you will know was the premier of Newfoundland and is I'm the last, ask- re- last remaining uh, individual to signed the Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. He's passionate about it. He gives many speeches. And the, the organization is called Taking Back Our Freedoms. And it's it has a website. Um, and there's lots of very useful information. It's just starting, um, apolitical. The, the objective is precisely what the, word, the title says, taking back our freedoms, the ones that our fathers died for. That's what it's all about. And it has an incredible potential nationally. There are um, uh, provincial activities on the ground, boots on the ground, chapters being set up in various cities across Canada, um, led by someone who has skin in the game, Brian Peckford, a wonderful man, who is someone you should listen to. He makes no bones about it. Um, There's a lot at stake here. And he was one of the authors of this document that he holds very dear, and he sees it being trampled on. So look out for that organization.
0: I, I don't know if you saw it, but I actually drove out to Parksville to meet with Mr. Peckford. And the reason I wanted to meet with him is because from the very beginning, I have had this feeling that we should be able to stand under the Charter Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution and stand for our rights. We should as Canadians because we live in a free country, the freest country on the planet. So when I realized who Mr. Peckford was, and it was actually, it was his uh, his blog about Daniel Nagacy that, that got me uh, introduced to him. I thought, man, this is this is amazing. Brian Peckford was involved in the 17 months of debate uh, that the premiers and uh, Prime Minister uh, Pierre Trudeau had from 1980 through to just about 1982. He was involved in all of that. He sat in all of the debates, uh, and it was actually Mr. Peckford's proposal that closed the deal and got everybody to sign the Charter, Rights and Freedoms. Very very influential man. And listening to him speak, he's extremely well-spoken. He's very intelligent and he still has a Newfie accent, which just brings everything together and makes it awesome. Now, here's the kicker. Mr. Peckford's, as, as Roger has uh, uh, correctly said, he his signature is on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It is partially his intellectual property with the other premiers and Prime Minister Pierre Elliott. Mr. Peckford... Uh, looked me in the eye and he said to me Chris I can't wait for the day when I can get on the stand and look that judge in the eye and tell him as an author of the charter of rights and freedoms that they are using section one wrong it was never intended to be used against business owners or students or anybody for any reason other than war or insurrection. And And that blew me away because how in the world? Now, I I want all you other people out there who are facing fines and fighting your fines through Fight the Fines or the JCCF or on your own or whatever. All you business owners that have had your you've lost your business over this. Um, Everybody. The man who signed the Charter of Rights and Freedoms has said on video, one of my videos, that what they're doing is wrong. It's not lawful and he's willing to take the stand on our behalf and tell the judge that they better they better pay attention. So how could a court possibly have the man who signed the document sitting beside him on the stand and not acknowledge that kind of evidence? I hope everyone understands how huge that is. And that is the whole point of what we're trying to do at WS Full Steam Ahead is connect with people like Roger Hodgkinson, Dennis Modray, um, Brian Peckford, Dr. Daniel Nagasi. I'm hoping to talk to Peter McCullough sooner rather than later, because we want you to know this information. We want you to know that there's hope that you're on the right side of this and you're going to get through it. And when you do, we're going to hold some people accountable. So if nothing else gives you hope today, please take some hope in the fact that the guy that helped write the Charter Rights and Freedoms, he says that you're right.
1: Absolutely, Chris, absolutely.
0: Um,
1: I, I'm not sure how much longer you want to go on, Chris, but there is, there is one thing that I, I wanted to elaborate on somewhat, and that is the three techniques that have been used to get us into this mess, so people clearly understand um, what the levers of power have been Um, there are three classical techniques to break anyone a terrorist in guantanamo bay or a whole society if they're used synchronously all at the same time and constantly amplified the three mechanisms are well described fear ignorance and isolation fear has been intentionally manipulated by our government using particularly the PCR test, calling these people who are asymptomatic cases when they are no such thing. A case in medicine is someone who's sick in front of you. These were false positive results by a terrible technology. That's one of the principal ways they drove fear. And then of course, with all the scariants that come out one after the other, everyone should know that <laughs> RNA viruses of this type predictably mutate all the time it's expected it's the norm it can't be stopped but what you do is encourage the emergence of these variants most of which fortunately are less infectious and less dangerous but you encourage the emergence of them by delaying the development of herd immunity by the many things that they have tried such as lockdowns and and vaccination programs etc So that was the first mechanism, fear, brilliantly exploited by a document like this. This one that I referred to. Second thing, of course, was ignorance. And this is perhaps the most important one. Because if people had been informed during the last two years about the reality of what's happening, they would have been so reluctant to be vaccinated and would have pushed back vigorously against government. And how did this ignorance happen? Well, all the usual sources were intimidated. Politicians were intimidated by being kicked out of caucus and therefore their pension potentially. The media was bought off by Mr. Fancy Socks in Ottawa. He's pouring money down their throats to keep the print media alive and the CBC. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that newspapers are a dying business when the front page isn't news anymore, but it's an advertisement from from SportCheck. Yeah. So you don't bite the hand that feeds you, and the media has been
0: extremely
1: compliant with government policy, not wishing to criticize it because they may cut off the money. Yeah. Everyone everyone has been intimidated but the most important sector that's been intimidated is physicians if physicians have been free to express their opinion one-on-one privately in the consulting room with a patient very few people would have been vaccinated but physicians have been targeted by the colleges of physicians in every province across this country into the threat of losing their livelihood if they dare to speak not only publicly, but to individual patients discouraging them from taking the vaccine. The Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons are the architect of that. The Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons are there principally for one reason, to protect you from me, to make sure I'm not a pedophile and not cutting off your wrong leg. They've been doing that reasonably well for decades, but now all of a sudden they've done a 180 degree turn and they are now the willing disciples of government.
0: Now they're political.
1: Enforcing government edicts. And I translate that as follows. They are now co-conspirators with government in state sanctioned murder exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to do they're supposed to protect you from medicine instead they are now encouraging your death by prohibiting informed consent which is one of the central medical ethics the third element of course is isolation, otherwise known as quarantines. Keep people separate. Don't let them talk to each other. Don't let them congregate. Don't let them go to ball games. Don't let them go to restaurants. Keep them isolated. Those three mechanisms, fear, ignorance, and isolation, have been the three principal tactics used by government to get to where we are today. But the principal one of all of them has been the intimidation of physicians in which we're not allowed to prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Government is now telling physicians how to practice medicine. It's been the right of physicians for centuries to have that very privileged position in society in which you see a patient confidentially. You have a discussion. It's very open-ended. You're not directing traffic. Presenting the options with the pros and the cons and that's how decisions are made between a doctor and a physician That has now been taken away from physicians a right that we've had for centuries Has been unilaterally taken away from us not by government But by the very bodies that are supposed to be governing medicine Mm -hmm. the colleges of physicians and surgeons have denied physicians that right to treat a patient in front of them who's sick in the best way that they can think of. First, do no harm, and inform consent. Those two fundamental principles have been trashed by government and by the colleges. And I I call that the most reprehensible event in medical history.
0: And here's the thing with uh, governing bodies like the College of Physicians and Surgeons. If they are not doing a job on our behalf and protecting us as they're intended, they got to go. Period. They shouldn't be there. They don't need to exist. If they're not benefiting us, goodbye. See you later. Um, I actually wrote a couple things down because I keep forgetting what I want to talk about. Um, What you were talking about, um, you mentioned cases again. Now I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people's heads actually explode. Um, hopefully, some some of our politicians are listening and they pay attention to this. If we have a enormous number of cases of any disease in our province or in our country, and we don't have an abnormally high or unmanageable amount of people in the hospital, that is a good thing. That is a very, very good thing. And those who are participating in um, increasing case counts, Asymptomatically, should be heralded because those people, while they are not sick, they're not straining the healthcare system, they're protecting the healthcare system, they're likely, very likely, not transmitting the disease to anybody else because, as they've shown, asymptomatic spread is not nearly as significant as what they told us in the beginning. What's happening with those people is their bodies are creating immunity to that virus. They're not sick. Right. They're totally fine. So if we have enormous case counts and and not many people are getting actually sick, that is a good thing. And right. common right. sense and logic tells us that that should give us a huge amount of comfort in this situation. Yep. If you take the time to realize that the case count is not a scary thing, it's a benefit to us all. You can start to maybe chip away at the fear a little bit and go and walk your dog without a mask on. You don't have to put a mask on your dog either. So um,
1: yes, yeah, uh, oh, I, I'm gonna well, get a lot omicron, of
0: comments about that. But.
1: <laughs> omicron is essentially the new vaccine. It's going to be in, infecting the majority of the population. And the, the reaction to not just the spike protein, but the rest of the, of the proteins on, in Omicron, which are in common with all the other variants, will result in the elimination of the pandemic and it will become an endemic, probably surfacing in a more minor form in, in years to come. So Omicron is, to a certain extent, a good thing. It's over. The whole thing is over. It's over. It's done, it's finished. We need to open up everything tomorrow. We, children we should. should be, children should be taking off their masks. Schools should reopen. Um, restaurants should be vibrant again. No one should be working at home unless they want to, etc., cetera, et cetera, The life of BC before COVID, that should return tomorrow because there's no excuse now to continue any of these mandates. There's no excuse to continue any of the vaccination programs given the horrendous death rate that's being documented in the States. I, I, I'd like to say, uh, one thing here chris about straw polls that i do whenever i give a speech and what i what i ask everyone present is this would everyone please put up their hand if they know someone personally who's had a stroke a heart attack or a pulmonary embolus following vaccination not a sore arm or a um, a headache but something very serious and the first time i did that i was staggered Truly, I was totally unprepared for the response. Approximately a third of everyone there put up their hands. And I said, listen, stand up, look around you. Doesn't this smell rotten? This is massive underreporting. If one third of the people here are aware of some of those terrible things happening, you get a sense of the scale with which there is misclassification of these events and government simply not wanting to know. So I repeated the same question at subsequent speeches, and I got the same proportion of people putting up their hands. Now, what does this tell you? In the absence of provable facts from government, because you can't trust a goddamn thing that they say. Here we have a straw poll that I repeated on multiple occasions with approximately the same result every time. This tells you intuitively that there is a massive underreporting of these events by government. They simply don't want to know. They're not investigating it. If, if you're introducing such an unsafe product under the guise of emergency use authorization into, in this province, millions of people, and around the world, billions of people, but let's take just Alberta. If you want to do that in Alberta, for the spurious reason that this is a public health emergency, which it never was, but you're doing it anyway, you as government are obligated to put in place a robust monitoring system for the consequences of what you're doing. Yes. They have not done that. They don't want to know. That's reprehensible.
0: It is, especially considering that standard practice is to record any adverse event or reaction as a result of that new drug until proven otherwise. And yet, I don't know how many, I I can't even count how many people have approached me and say either they or someone they know had a serious adverse reaction and the doctor just brushed it off as normal and didn't record it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if that's happening, how would the government know? I mean, they got to know by now. We have sports players dropping dead in the middle of the field. Um, young, healthy, mid-20s, very active, of course, the professional sports players. And this is just considered, considered normal. Um, it's not normal. I don't
1: this, think this, it's normal. Is, this is the most uncontrolled clinical trial ever performed in medical history. The methods of monitoring clinical trials are extremely well documented. That's how pharmaceutical companies are supposed to behave before a drug's introduced. The methodology for that is extremely well described. Publicly available information, they've chosen not to do it because they don't want to know.
0: They're burying their heads in the sand. Precisely. A couple other things I'm gonna mention here. So I did have somebody ask if, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna say omicron the way I say it. They asked me if omicron was a lab leak from South Africa. Um, here's my completely layperson's take on this. So we have North America and developed nations, first world countries, buying up vaccines like they are going out of style um i think there's enough vaccinations in canada right now and keep in mind we've thrown out millions of them there's enough vaccinations in canada right now for every man woman and child in canada to get six shots now south africa and actually africa as a whole i think they are having trouble even getting their first shot so you tell me if you have half the globe is getting all of the vaccinations. The other half is getting none. Where are the mutations and the, and the variants going to come from? Um, we've had variants from Brazil, a couple from Africa, uh, one from India, all places that have this vaccine inequality. And I'm not saying that's entirely the case. But if you completely buy into the, the, the if you buy into the, the whole idea that everybody in the globe needs to be vaccinated and you're willing to take four, and not let people in Africa get one, then you're potentially part of the problem. You can't have that kind of inequality if you if you want to slow or stop something like this. And I mean, we've already discussed that you can't vaccinate your way from uh, away from uh, your way out of an upper respiratory infection. But just setting that aside for now, this whole vaccine inequality that we're watching over the globe and uh, and people's acceptance of it, the same people who virtue signal and, and advocate for minorities. It's it. It makes but my the, head. Spin.
1: The point is, Chris, that that's a good thing. It, it's for the wrong reason that these yeah. countries, because they can't afford it are not getting it. But by not being able to afford it, they're, they're protecting themselves from the consequences of the vaccination, which is an excellent thing. It was never needed in the first place and it, 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 it should stop being used everywhere. The fact that they've not received as much as other countries is, is very much in their favor. They're not going to be seeing yeah. as many of the complications that we will be seeing.
0: Sometimes I have to play devil's advocate and I put myself in the other side of the fence's shoes and I try and look at it from their perspective and even over there I still can't wrap my head around what they're doing. Even if into that headspace, it's well, ill, uh, chaos but, and the when you
1: when you, don't, when you don't have the cash, you become creative. Look at Uttar Pradesh, um, one of the biggest states in India. They basically put everyone on ivermectin mm-hmm. and they killed it. They, 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 they just destroyed it. Um, and yet, <laughs> it, was, it was an incredible, incredible experience.
0: And yet, the mainstream media and the fact checkers—all there's falsities in this article. There are no peer-reviewed studies suggest that ivermectin had anything to do with this. Come on! Every country they've done it in, it's been successful. Here in Alberta, there are still doctors treating people with ivermectin underground, uh, nurses going home to home. It's working. It's always worked. It's going to work. Maybe until. Something mutates and doesn't work anymore, you but it works.
1: You, you can't cherry pick results. The essence of, of medical research and debate is quite usually there's evidence to the contrary, but you don't pick and choose the results that make your case. You put it all together in what we call a meta analysis, which was done by, um, oh, Hart in, in Europe. Um, the meta-analysis of ivermectin is very very clear it works it's 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 medical dogma to deny to deny that ivermectin does not work is is totally head in the sand trying to justify the reasons why you prohibited it in the first place ivermectin works if it's given if it's given early early enough
0: but it doesn't make people rich
1: no no, 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 no. An I'm interesting too, no. point
0: about ivermectin. So you remember Dr. Gary Davidson, right? Yes. Okay, so, so Gary Davidson successfully treated uh, 40 or 50 or 60 patients in Red Deer with ivermectin, kind of on the down low, and he went public about it because he cares. He's a good physician. He wanted to save lives, so he saved lives. All of those people that he treated, they were fine. Never. I think only two of them ended up in the hospital or at state. So the reason I bring this up is because back then, um, Gary was promoting the use of ivermectin, but also fluvoxamine. And okay. people right. hammered and persecuted and made fun of him and death threats. And the stupidest response ever for a compassionate man who was trying to help people and fulfill his oath as a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, they are now using fluvoxamine in Ontario as emergency authorized use off label to treat early treat COVID patients. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's this stigma about ivermectin, where people think that it's only a paste that you give to your horses for worms. I mean, that's the farthest thing from the truth ever, but at least Gary said fluvoxamine is a good alternative and now they're using it in Ontario, which is a great thing. In, um, I wish in, more politicians would agree to implement early treatment policies instead of letting people turn blue at home.
1: In medicine, we use... I'm not a clinician, I, I've never treated patients. I've been on the diagnostic side of medicine. But in, in medicine, we frequently use drugs what are called off-label. A drug that has been approved for use for disease X can sometimes be used for disease Y. And a, a, a drug that's been approved in terms of its safety record that is done very very frequently in medicine all over the world you have a patient in front of you and you have a discussion with that patient talking about the pros and cons of what you're proposing and then if they agree you make the pres- prescription that's done all the time they chose to make a big exception now with covid in which ivermectin, of course, was emerged from the scene as an effective antiviral. It was never approved for antiviral use, despite being used in some countries for that purpose. But if if a physician believes that a drug is worth trying for a person that's sick in front of them and the drug has gone through safety trials, then it's that physician's right for centuries. To use his judgment his training his ethics with informed consent for the patient to write the prescription for that drug
0: because that's how science works you see evidence of something being beneficial and you explore that aspirin Champex, um i mean the list goes on and on
1: with with full informed consent with full informed absolutely consent. Absolutely. Chris, I I did want to digress here for a minute into testing. You've referred to testing earlier on and I listen, I'm in the game of testing. I'm a pathologist. I spent my life producing results for GPs and specialists and I can tell you this very very clearly. Read my lips everyone. No testing for COVID should take place anywhere for any reason, other than when you present to hospital with a syndrome of symptoms that is consistent with possibly having COVID and you wish to have a confirmatory test. It's only in that situation where a sample should be taken and tested. The method that's used, the only one that's available on a widespread basis is PCR based. If you're presenting with the appropriate syndrome you've got a fever and a cough and whatever. And the PCR test with a low cycle threshold is positive, you probably have you probably have COVID. But that's the only place where testing should happen. There should be no testing of in and out antigen testing, antibody testing, getting on a plane, going in a restaurant, going in a food store, being employed or not employed, etc, etc, etc. It should stop completely. There's no purpose behind it. Just cast your mind back. Did we do that with the flu? No. The testing was available. It was only done, though, if you were sick enough to be admitted to hospital. People weren't tested willy-nilly walking on the street to see if they were asymptomatic carriers of the flu. No, not in a month of Sunday's ridiculous concept. A massive waste of money, a way of controlling people, and driving fear. I'm in the business. I'm telling you categorically, it should all stop immediately. No I testing for anyone, anywhere, for any reason, including nurses going in and out of nursing homes. There are many other ways of protecting granny than pretending you can use these terrible tests with awful um, sensitivity and specificity um, results. <laughs> many other ways of doing it. No testing for anyone, anywhere, for any reason, unless you're sick enough to go to hospital.
0: I'm gonna go one step further on that. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong because I am not a doctor. Now, I would say that if you think you have COVID, um, it would likely be better to practice early treatment and proper health at home before you ever went to the hospital and had a test because if right. you go to a hospital and you get a test for covid and they say you have covid what are they going to tell you to do Roger They're going to, they're going to tell you to go home until you turn blue right Right So what's the point? Well, you and if you're sick enough to be admitted to the hospital, they're going to put you on oxygen. They're going to give you potentially randesimir or prednisone or some other steroid uh, and okay. they're going to they're going to recommend putting putting you on a ventilator. So those are all scary things cool. and I'm not going to discount that in certain cases, people have success with those treatments. Let's sure. ignore that for sure. now. Sure. However, it is prudent that you do your absolute best to prevent yourself from getting to that, that uh, situation in the first place.
1: So let, let's, let's talk about that. Some very, very interesting recent research coming out of, of all places, Bangladesh, your immediate reaction is very suspicious, Bangladesh. No, this was an extremely well-done trial using very basic stuff that they can afford in Bangladesh. I'm talking about iodine. What I'm going to tell you is not, underlined in neon, quackery. It's hardcore provable science. What they did was they took In in North America, we buy things, we buy iodine in a product called betadine. It's a 10% solution of iodine. You take your betadine bottle and you buy a nose dropper and you dilute the betadine bottle. that's already a 10% solution. You dilute it into another 10% solution. So it's quite dilute. And you put four, you're lying down and you get someone to put four drops in each nostril, you'll find it trickling down the back of your throat. The, the reason for, to, to do that is that iodine is a potent virucidal agent. It kills viruses. It's been proven. And in the trials that were done with it, it's much more effective than ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Very simple, very basic, very cheap. You can go as far as gargling with it if you wish but that's a little bit unpleasant but it's very effective for people that are concerned because of comorbidities of getting COVID and they don't want to be vaccinated well that's something to seriously consider Uh, together with vitamin d of course and vitamin c Um, again not quackery known to be protective
0: interesting I'm just going to post a link. This is the first one that came up. It's not exactly what you're talking about, but it's uh, certainly food for thought.
1: And um, uh, hydrogen and, peroxide has has been used in a similar fashion.
0: So, Betadine, uh, in case anybody's wondering, uh, Betadine is also the, the the name brand that manufactures the surgical scrub, as far as I know. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very good product. And uh, that's. it's always exciting to hear about Potential new treatments that can keep people out of the hospital, because that's the key to protect the healthcare system. We can all do our part by practicing good health, healthy choices at home and exploring early treatment options that have little to no side effects. Don't do stuff crazy like mix chemicals from under your sink and try and make something that you need to get out of pharmacy. Don't do that. That's ridiculous. But safe and effective early treatment.
1: And while doing that, keep your head screwed on. This isn't Armageddon. The average person is not going to die from COVID and certainly not from Omicron. So don't live your life in fear. We've got to have our iodine today. We missed it yesterday. What's going to happen to us? No, just accept this as routine as flossing your teeth, you know, and don't get carried away with fear. Live life normally, live it to the full, hug people, smile at your grandkids and just, just try to minimize the anxiety that government's created here. This pandemic of fear is something we have to totally get rid of and live life normally.
0: On the topic of minimizing anxiety, uh, actually, I'm just going to talk, I'll, I'll read this comment quickly and then I'll get on with the anxiety thing. Um, I read Papua New Guinea has used ivermectin for parasite infection. They don't have the seafood. Yes, absolutely correct. I actually put that story up about two months ago. Um, the details are Papua New Guinea had a problem with a parasite that existed in their water. Uh, True. The government took control and she did something good. said, okay, a lot of people are getting this. It's making them sick. Um, we're going to do something to help them. So they implemented a pilot project with a small group of people that increased it to more and more and more until eventually the entire population was getting treated or most of them. And what they did is they introduced three different drugs at three different times, starting in 2011 to 2017. By 2017, 80% of the population of Papua New Guinea was using Ivermectin as a treatment against what they were dealing with in the first place. And it just so happens that Papua New Guinea has an extremely low vaccine uptake and yet their COVID cases and hospitalizations were extremely negligible. Like some of the lowest on the planet, Why? Potentially there are no peer reviewed studies on this, but they used ivermectin across a huge part of the population and they don't have a problem with COVID. Take that as you will. Now,
1: same experience in India,
0: same experience in India and
1: and and in Japan
0: and in Africa where they use ivermectin on children for lice. They're using these products for other things that they're designed to treat. And it just so happens that it's protecting them from COVID. And who cares why or how it's doing it? But the point is, it's doing it. It saves lives. So uh, you murderous, disgusting pieces of crap in our government and college of physicians that are persecuting people for advocating for that. You can all stuff it and let and stop killing people. Anxiety. Um, we have an issue on both sides of this debate with people spreading all sorts of Kind of crazy information. One thing that came across my desk in the last couple days, and people are panicking about this. Like, I I got probably two dozen phone calls yesterday and numerous, hundreds of emails and messages. There is a thing going around on Facebook right now talking about how Prime Minister Trudeau is getting together with all the premiers and they're going to uh, basically cancel the Constitution, enact the War Measures Act, and... Mm -hmm we'll have five years of, of this tyrannical government that can do whatever they want, take away all our rights and freedoms. No, they're not. Number one, the country would revolt and we don't have a big enough military to control it. Number two, if Trudeau ever did something like that, it would very, very likely result in his government crumbling and the CPC taking over. Now I did have a conversation about this with our MP, in the Red Deer area, Mr. Blaine Calkins. Now Blaine Calkins, uh, he's been in MLA for quite a few years. Uh, I've met him on numerous occasions. I I do believe he's a really good man, but he is also hamstrung by the rules of his party. Um, It's no different than politics here in Alberta. In federal politics, if you speak up and you speak out of line, you're out. Look look at Derek Sloan, look at Maxine Bernier, it happens. So while Blaine Calkins is a good man And I know this to be true because I have talked to him about this, what's going on right now. Um, He told me that he hasn't heard any of this stuff discussed in any circles anywhere in federal politics. So no, this is not happening. It would be a stupid move on Trudeau's part. It would be political suicide. And I have it on good authority from a good man who is very close to the source that no, Trudeau isn't going to cancel our Constitution. Now, having said that, I need everybody out there in Facebook land to start using their noggins. Stop letting people tell you what to be scared of and tell you and feed you these tidbits to make you continue watching their page. Now, I love that everybody or that a lot of people watch my Facebook page because it gives me an opportunity to bring on people like Roger Hodgkinson who have some very important things to say. But there are those out there who continually spew this nonsense about like secret deals behind trees in Ottawa and like all this stuff that the military is is coming here, is coming there. Well, you know what, we have military in Canada and sometimes we see them driving down the street. It's nothing to be alarmed of. Use your heads. There are things that we need to be scared of right now. And number one is a tyrannical government that strips away our rights and freedoms right under our nose without anybody noticing. Number two is a government that turns us against each other, rips families apart and takes the focus off their disgusting actions. And we end up fighting between ourselves. Those are the two things you should be scared of. Should you be scared of COVID? Should we be scared of COVID, Roger?
1: Obviously not. You, not you, 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 you're, you're, you're scared of yourself. Um, yeah. You know, life should return to that time called BC before COVID. BC. Remember that time called BC when you went to restaurants and you hugged your grandkids and you travelled anywhere you wanted on holiday that should happen immediately tomorrow. There's no reason not to. There's ample evidence scientifically, political experiments that have been going on in Florida and Sweden and so on. We don't have to resort to the most draconian measures such as we're seeing in, in Australia and New Zealand and Austria. No, no. We're a free loving country and I dare I dare any politician to arrive at my door with a syringe.
0: Yeah, that would be, there are a thousand ways to die. There's a million ways to die. And if that ever happens, that will be how I die. Because I will never go silently into the night um, with that kind of thing. I will take people with me. And that's not a threat. It's It's just the way it is. Right. But
1: but remember, our federal Minister of Health is proposing exactly that,
0: mandatory
1: vaccination.
0: Now, we do have a little bit of protection because uh, I'm not sure if anyone or many people are aware of this, but the federal government has absolutely zero jurisdiction and power um, to operate or administer health care in any of the provinces. That is under the Constitution. That is a provincial matter. End of story. The very worst thing the federal government could do is threaten to withhold transfer payments back to Alberta because they do send us money to help with healthcare. That's That's pretty much the worst they could do. And Jason Kenney has said, although this doesn't give me any comfort because he's a lying weasel, he has said that under no circumstances will Alberta mandate vaccines. As a matter of fact, they removed that power, that legislative power back last summer. So I don't think this is something to be concerned about. You should be concerned about those other two things that I mentioned, tyrannical government stripping away your rights and freedoms right from under your nose without you knowing it and and an oppressive government turning you against your neighbors. Those are the two priorities right now. All of that other stuff is fluff and distraction. So just start paying attention and get on with your lives. Lead by example. And remember, Roger said this, too, we are going to die. There are countless immeasurable ways to die it's very likely, statistically, that COVID will not be the reason you die. However, if you stop hugging your grandchildren and you don't go to visit your parents for supper, it is statistically much more probable that you will be killed from something else while allowing your fear of COVID to impact your relationship with your loved ones. So take that as as you may. Um, Personally, I'm a lot more fearful of losing time and connection with my family than I am of getting sick and dying for COVID.
1: Chris, I, I, I wanted to mention two other uh, lessons that from COVID that are more important than anything that we've talked about tonight. The way COVID has been exploited, of course, is bad enough. It, it's despicable, not being able to hold the hand of your dying father, for example.
0: That's disgusting.
1: De- despicable, despicable personal consequences but let's look at the macro picture here for a minute this pandemic originated because of gain of function research being performed illegally offshore by fauci Mm -hmm. gain of function research is not rocket science it can be done relatively easily with without enormous investment Gain-of-function research can create what we call chimeras, a blending, a mixture and uh, a merging of two different viruses, each with desirable, terrible consequences.
0: Which is scary.
1: This is not rocket science. Now, gain-of-function research is a more existential threat to humanity than nuclear war. It could make COVID look like a walk in the park. Gain-of-function research should be actually prohibited internationally everywhere. But it's going on right now in the Level 4 lab, right slap-bang in the middle of Winnipeg.
0: In the very middle of Canada.
1: In the middle of town, where bureaucrats placed it. Idiotic decision. The point I'm making is these scientists can get too clever for their own good. Just because we can do something doesn't mean to say we should be allowed to do it. Because the consequences of this in the wrong hands, a rogue nation, let's take North Korea. Let's take Iran. Having something in their back pocket is the ultimate threat. It needs to be massively prohibited. We need to infiltrate countries that are doing it to, to make sure we get rid of it, just like the, the, the Israelis are doing with uh, Stuxnet and uh, the Iranian nuclear program. We need to get rid of gain-of-function research everywhere. There's no good reason to do it, given the the, the balance of risk versus benefit. That's the first point I'd make. First major lesson. The second major lesson that's coming out of COVID is that because of COVID, Trump realized that 90% of the pharmaceuticals used in the Western world originate from China. That was a, a massive realization for him that prompted him to encourage the repatriation of as much manufacturing from China as possible. But I would go further than that. Anyone reading the tea leaves internationally will realize that we are currently in the West at undeclared war with China. They're simply playing a waiting game as inscrutable Chinese sitting on the sidelines smiling in your general direction and choosing the time when it's ripe to attack in some form or other. It may not be a direct invasion of the Philippines or Taiwan. It may be initially a little toe in the water, such as an artillery barrage of Kumoy. The point I'm making is we need to learn from history. Medieval warfare. You don't feed your enemy. You don't wait for your enemy to be stronger to attack you. You starve your enemy to death siege towers around castles is the way it was done now it can be done by more sophisticated means no one should be buying anything from china it's making them stronger we want to encourage the their economy to tank so that potentially it could result in an internal revolution of the elites that are used to to a more western style of life The big point I'm making is that COVID has focused the world on the reality of China and its intent to dominate the world. By both economic and military means. And that's that's, the second big lesson coming out of COVID and we should all take it to heart. This isn't an imagination by some white haired nutcase. We are at undeclared war with China
0: right now. So to be clear, neither Roger or I have a problem with the Chinese people. What we're saying is, and I agree with Roger, is that nowadays, wars don't need to be fought with guns. The wars that are fought with guns, that, in my opinion, that's for show. That is a distraction. That's an exciting thing to watch and everyone's eyes are on that. Meanwhile, the real wars are being fought here this is where war is waged these days Um, you don't have to be physically overpowering to infiltrate and and take over something Um, the way the world is set up these days there are dozens of other ways you can do it that are slower but way easier and much more effective and when you're dealing with a superpower like china when you're when you're that big and you're, you're growing that fast and you're amassing so much of the world's wealth, literally the only thing you have to do is wait. Because if the wealth is coming to you, everybody else is getting poorer. Eventually they're going to be in a situation where all you have to do is that and it's yours. So that's when when we talk about being at an undeclared war with something, that's what we're talking about. The war Mm -hmm. that's up here. So uh, pay attention and watch your surroundings and maybe you can do your part by making small decisions in your life by buying made, yeah. in, Canada, buying made in America or even Mexico or whatever, taking we, we, back we, the authority we've given to China, because you look at the Walmarts and the Costco's and the Princess Autos and all those that bring hundreds of thousands of containers from China, and then we, we ship them our money back in there. That's what it's so happening.
1: We, we, we know that method works in the modern context. That's how, that's how we destroyed Russia. Um, they had a decision to make. Brezhnev had a decision to make. Are we going to maintain social services and free vodka for everyone? Or are we going to compete with the United States militarily? He chose to, to, to keep, to avoid civil unrest by giving the people lots of freebies. And because of that, he couldn't support the military. And, and that's essentially how, how Russia died. Um, we won that with reagan was very astute he 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 used he outspent them basically
0: he starved they, them were, up,
1: yeah. they weren't able to compete um so th- there are there are recent examples of uh, examples of that but you know it, our, our children are facing a very dicey future quite apart from all the COVID crap that i described the the ex there's the external threat of not, of not just iran um and north korea but they're a bit player russia's a bit player i mean they're their economies um less than California's um no uh, or Italy uh, for that matter uh no they're not a threat it's China 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 China's where it's at um this wasn't a China virus by the way it was a made in USA virus Trump although I'm a Trumper he got everything wrong on 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 COVID because he was duped by Burks and and uh, by Fauci and Burks on a a regular basis. We know that from people that were at the table with him. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a rather scary world for our children.
0: It sure is. And um, my goal, I guess you would say now is to do whatever I can to at the very least help people understand and see that we do have a problem so that they can start thinking about how they can help fix it. And that's why uh, me and Roger, for that matter, that's why we travel around to other towns in Alberta and we speak to groups of people because we're trying to do our part and we're trying to get the message out that, Hey, we have a problem. First and foremost, we have a problem. Number two, um, we need to fix it. And this is why. And number three, this is the solution um, to fix these problems. So if you, if you want to see that in your town, um, I would say either reach out to WSFullSteamahead.org. And if you get a group of people together and you want to have people come and speak, we'll facilitate that. Um, if you want the AUP to come to your town to explain to you how Alberta independence is the most free and prosperous path forward to the benefit of every single man, woman and child here, get a hold of them. Do your legwork first, get a group of people together, organize within your community, and then come to our groups and say, hey, we're committed to this fight and we want some support here and we will be there. I'll guarantee that, Um, you know, come hell or high water, we'll be there. And so on that note, I I just wanna say Roger, and, and a lot of people have said this in the comments, but thank you very much for sticking your neck out and speaking to these things when you really don't have to. Like I understand that you're doing it because you see that there's a problem. It's affecting your friends, neighbors, and family, and you wanna make a positive difference in their lives. So I really appreciate that. And hundreds of thousands of people across Alberta appreciate it as well. So from me and all of those people, thank you very much.
1: I I wanna say one thing in closing, I'm not special. I'm doing what physicians used to do all the time. It's everyone. It's all the other physicians who are unspecial. I'm not doing anything special. I'm just, I'm just doing what physicians always used to do. Thank you very much, Chris.
0: Thank you, Roger. So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up some paperwork on a screen share in closing here. I'm going to let people finish up their comments. I'll do my best to answer them. But these, the the documents that I'm going to put up are regarding, um, Fauci being, exposed for his part in the gain of function research. So, I'm going to do I'm going to see what I can about actually posting them on the Facebook page because obviously it's hard to read them in a situation like this on a live, but I'll post them up nonetheless just so I can go through some of the comments afterwards. Um, if there's anything that you disagree with with anything Roger or I have said, please leave a comment. If you disagree or if you agree. But I want to see your comments disagreeing with what I have to say because I would be more than happy to read it and explain and try and change your mind and if you think you can change my, my mind please do so um, I'm open to information on that note um, again I'll say thank you very much Roger I usually try and keep these to an hour but we had a viewership uh, approaching a thousand nine hundred ninety people for almost two hours so I would say that people were engaged and the two hours was time well spent
1: well, it's been a pleasure being on your show. Um, Chris, you're doing great work. Um I I deeply admire your stance. You're you're a you're a hero in my eyes. You've 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 been personally punished. That that's that you've got skin in the game.
0: Well, you know what? I'm not special either. I just want to flip some burgers and pour some coffees for people. And until we take <laughs> our rights and freedoms back, I can't do that. So damn it, I'm gonna do it.
1: Well, Thank you very much, and good night, everyone.
0: You're welcome. Thanks, Roger. Night, everybody.